Hey folks, this is Michael Bowman, and welcome to the Christ Church Podcast. Glad to be joining you today. Thank you for being with us. This episode, I am joined by Dr. Jonathan Powers, who is the Assistant Professor of Worship at Asbury Theological Seminary, a co-host of a podcast called Secondhand Religion that you should check out. He's an ordained Anglican and serves at a Methodist church up in Lexington, Kentucky. I got to take a couple of classes with Dr. Powers, or Jonathan, back in the day during my time at Asbury Seminary, which really wasn't that far back in the day. Um, Got to know him a little bit outside of class, and he is somebody that I have gone to with emails and questions about a number of things since. I'm grateful for Jonathan joining us in this episode. Just to remind you, we are now talking about liturgy. And just a heads up for this episode, we talk a lot about liturgy. Um, I hope you are ready for it because our conversation, maybe it's just my own fault. I was so interested in what Jonathan had to say that I kind of kept going. So we're going to break up these episodes at least into two episodes. So we'll release them over the course of a couple weeks. And I hope that you join us for all of them because he really helps um, us understand what liturgy is kind of the history behind the liturgy, why we practice the liturgy, what it looks like in our churches today, and even kind of advises some really practical help for how we can implement different things in our liturgy in our different contexts or local churches. So um, again, grateful for Jonathan joining us. I think you'll get a lot out of it. If you have any questions or comments that you might want to make in regards to something Jonathan or I might have said in these episodes, please feel free to reach out to us at info, I-N-F-O, at ChristChurchBham.com. We would love to interact with you or even, you know, record an episode where we can maybe clear some things up. Okay, again, let me just say heads up. We do talk a lot. It's a fun conversation. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Have your pens and notepads ready. Feel free to hit pause whenever you need to. Um, but let's just get into it. Here's, here's our conversation with Dr. Jonathan Powers on liturgy. So what is liturgy? So what is liturgy? That's a great question. Um, liturgy very basically is the patterns and practices of what we do in worship. Hmm. And that is for any style of worship doesn't matter if it's contemporary, doesn't matter if it's uh, spontaneous types of worship, charismatic, you know, Pentecostal um, influenced worship, or if it's more structured, highly liturgical mm-hmm. influenced worship. Um, it's the patterns and practices of what we do in worship. It's the participatory acts of worship that we do because liturgy literally just means work of the people. Mm-hmm. And so it's the work that we are doing as the people of God. Uh, for instance, Romans 12, we like to quote Romans 12 a lot when we talk about worship. Um, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, um, to lay yourselves down as living sacrifices. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
Um, what Paul is saying there is I encourage you, you know, in view of God's mercies, based on what God has done, we have spent 11 chapters unpacking the mercies of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and the, um, uh, the, the character of God. In view of all of that, I encourage you to lay yourselves down as a living sacrifice. You know, if we're going to put it in Southern speak, I encourage y'all to lay down all y'alls, you know, it's plural here. It's not uh-huh. individual. I encourage y'all to, to lay down all y'alls um, lives as living sacrifices. This is your liturgy is what he says. Mm. This is your liturgy. This is your act of spiritual service. This is the practice that you are to do. And he's talking about the, he's really, he's not really talking about worship here. He's talking about ecclesiology. What does it mean to be the church and to live together as the church? But uh, he uses that term liturgy there to say, this is your act. And then he gets into what does it mean to be the body of Christ and to serve one another, have the same, um, uh, you know, the uh, the renewing of your mind, you know, in Christ Jesus, he says after that. Um, Mm. And then this is uh, how the body of Christ functions together. And so, um, so the liturgy then is, is what we practice together as the body of Christ, um, what we participate in. And as it comes to worship, the actual, activity of worship it's simply what we do it is what we're doing together so if it's singing some songs and hearing a sermon that's your liturgy if it's having a call to worship and then an opening prayer and then a hymn and then um, gloria patri and then uh, scripture readings then a sermon you know if it's an opening acclamation and a call for purity and a confession you know that's your liturgy Mm -hmm. Um, if it's sitting and being still and being quiet and waiting for the spirit to speak to you and then speaking out of what the spirit says to you. That's your liturgy. It's the practices that you engage in together as the people of God. So before we get any further then, I think all that's really helpful. And I actually really appreciate you going straight to Romans with it and kind of walking us through that. Cause that's even more helpful when people, well, you'll see what I mean when I ask this question, you know, so many people feel like at least in the Protestant tradition, um, and maybe low church Protestant tradition, I should say, uh, you know, liturgy is a bad word, so to speak. Like it sounds Catholic, Roman Catholic, but it just sounds like something they do. We're not that. No, we're not going to talk about liturgy. We're going to be spontaneous, whatever, whatever the pushback might be. Can we, the reason why I like that you started with Romans, cause it's like, look, people also be like, well, where do we see it in the Bible? And then you just, <laughs> just started off with that. But, uh, but um, I guess, can we talk about, before we go any further, what, I know you faced this before, the rejection to liturgy, the pushback against liturgy, you know, before we get into even like why it's important, or maybe that'll lead us to it. What are some of those, what's your experience with that? Like, as far as people like, well, I don't want to do that. Because you just made it pretty clear. It's simply just what we do in worship. Mm. So like, whether you know it or not, you're practicing a liturgy. Yeah. Can we talk about some of like your experience with pushback though before we kind of jump into more? Yeah, sure. Let me take a step back for a minute and talk about um, uh, spiritual formation with that. Yeah. Um, so, so part of liturgy is that it's it's the way it forms us, and so we could say it forms us in the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, kind of continue with that Romans twelve passage there. Um, and so how is it forming us in that way? You know, how is, how is liturgy forming us? Uh, what mm-hmm. is the formative nature? Um, the songs that we sing, the lyrics are going to teach us about God. They're going to tell us about God. Um, they're going to say something about God's character and us as God's people in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, the prayers that we pray, 
Um, they're going to give us a sense of God. So worship, uh, when we come to worship, we meet with God. We don't meet about God. We meet yeah. with God. We are, we are encountering God. And so one question is, how is it bringing us to encounter God? What is the vision of God that we are, we are gaining through the liturgy? And, um, and, and how is it forming us in that, you know, um, forming us as the body of Christ in that? And so um, when we talk about spiritual formation, now worship isn't meant for spiritual formation. It happens. It happens. It is a byproduct of worship. Spiritual mm-hmm. formation is a byproduct of worship. But uh, we don't go to worship simply to say, I go to worship so that I might be spiritually formed. We go to worship to celebrate God, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the liturgy is the guide to that. It, yeah. it, it guides us through that, guides mm-hmm. us into that. Um, whatever that might be. And so saying everything has a liturgy means that there's explicit liturgy. Um, what is being said, what is being taught, what is the very specific thing that it's guiding us to? How is it telling us about God? How are we hearing from God? You know, how are we giving God a space to speak to us or God to do something? We don't just kind of, um, hope that God shows up or say, (laughs) if we can do all these things right, then we can, create a situation where God will show up. We actually come in with the expectation God is here and the liturgy helps us acknowledge that. Mm. Um, so there's an explicit liturgy. There's an implicit liturgy that says, what are the things that maybe it's not overtly telling me this, but uh, let me say like, uh, so we said pr- patterns and practices. It's not just the words, it's the practices too. So say that um, you open worship with a confession and you kneel. Um, that's not an explicit, the explicit liturgy is the confession. Mm-hmm. We're confessing to God, our sins. We are unworthy to come before you. You know, it's like Isaiah, there's a vision of God. And yes. as we see God, we realize we are sinners. We are not, um, uh, right with God. And so we have to confess our sins to God so we can come deeper into God's presence and we can be pure and, and cleansed, um, to, uh, to, to, uh, the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You know? Mm -hmm. So, um, we are asking that to happen to us as we come into worship in in that form, that pattern. Um, but when you confess, you might kneel and kneeling is an implicit liturgy. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a humbling posture. We're not saying so kneel now so that you might humble yourself before God and take on a posture of where you recognize your own unworthiness. I mean, it's kind of, you know, if you think of like kings or uh, uh, royalty or magistrates or things in the day, you know, when somebody would come before them, they would kneel to acknowledge right. who they are, but also to acknowledge that they're, you know, they're not necessarily worthy to be there. Um, this isn't say that we we just come to God, you know, in this groveling, you know, like the Monty Python, like, oh, just all the groveling, <laughs> yeah. I can't, you know, we're not, um, we're not uh, saying that, but there is a recognition of our, um of humility. Um, th- there's, there's a, a posture that we take that just confirms a, a, a stance that we have, you know? Um, and, um, and, and when a lot of times when, when people would kneel back in the past, I'm kind of getting into some other things here, but sure. when people would kneel in the past and you know, they would kneel and they would, they would hold, they would fold their hands, hold their hands like that. Like we do in prayer, you know, uh-huh. straight. I, I know we're in a prayer podcast, hands, so you yeah. can't see me, but prayer hands, like not, clasped together the <laughs> yeah. fingers folded in but hands you know fingers straight up put together like that but those hands is because then the king or whoever would come and put their hands over or even in like uh, mm-hmm. um a, the academy if somebody was come, you know part of the academy they would kneel and put their hands like that and the mentor or uh uh 
the, the person that was that was tutoring them and all would come and put their hands over them and say, I bind myself to you. So this is also a posture saying God comes to bind himself to us, to put his hands over ours and to grasp our hands. He puts his hands around ours when they're like that. And we say, we're coming before you, God, that we might do. And, and God then puts his hands around us and says, I am I am binding myself to you as you are in this posture as well. So an implicit liturgy, like that's not all explained, you know, maybe right. it's the first time anybody's ever heard that before, you know, but when we do that, there's something that's happening. It's an implicit liturgy. That is when we do hear it, finally, we're like, Oh, wow. Like I've been doing that practice and it's a, it's a fine practice. It kind of confirms a posture in me. But um, now there's this greater meaning to it, and there's mm -hmm. this implicit reality that's happening, even though it's not explicitly stated every time. You know, so there's explicit liturgy, there's implicit liturgy, then there's null liturgy, and null liturgy is the stuff that's not talked about, the stuff that's not done. So if you never confess in a in a service, then um, we can begin to believe that um, uh, we have lots of rights and privileges to God that we don't, mm -hmm. um, or that we can take on certain stances and postures. You know, we can kind of do what we want. Uh, we, we, we have the power to kind of do things on our own rather than coming with the posture of humility before God. Um, or, um, you know, another null liturgy could simply be, um, there's no women in leadership in a mm -hmm. church, you know, in music or reading scripture or prayer or preaching or whatever. And the null liturgy, it's not ever explicitly said. You could say, like, no, we do believe in women in ministry. Um, you know, we we support that. And uh um, but but all of a sudden it's like, but do you really? I've never seen this practiced in your church. So right. a null liturgy is you, you say one thing, there might be something explicit, but um the null liturgy is it's never happening, and so people never learn. So all of that is to say the um the formalized parts of liturgy that usually gets the pushback is um is because um it, it seems to be formalized and dead people think it's there's no life to it um but the question is what is the explicit liturgy what is explicitly how is it bringing us to god what is it saying how is it forming us how does it force us to slow down for a minute how's it mm -hmm. countercultural in the fact that it's not just about um entertainment and um you know like a sporting event which sporting events have their own liturgy mm. by the way um you know you um it has their their opening you know um every sporting event has a, has a liturgy to it um from the the opening like the announcing of the players to you know you, you mess up some of that stuff you, mm -hmm. know, you go to um um uh, well, I go to Tuscaloosa and um, <laughs> and and start messing up with the opening acts of a football yeah. game, and some people get really upset, right? Yes. Um, so we're fine with liturgies in those ways, but uh, for some reason, when it comes to church, um, we think oh, those, we fight for them too. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> we get feisty yeah. about it. We do, yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so liturgy, um, the pushback tends to be. Um, that it seems dead, it seems lifeless, um, it's it's rote, um, and uh, and and there's there's no significance to it. I think there's two reasons for that. One, it's either done poorly, 
or mm. two, people don't understand why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so we have to do it well, engage people well in it, you know, because um, the point is participation. The liturgy helps us participate in worship because worship's not something that we sit back and receive. That's a consumerist way of approaching worship. What am I getting out of it? How am I yes. fed? How does it impact me? Uh, worship's more like a birthday party where we go to a birthday party to celebrate the individual. We don't go walking away saying, how was I fed? Did I like it? Did I get anything out of it? Um, It's a celebration of that individual. Uh, We come to worship to celebrate God, to celebrate God. And um, the liturgy helps us with that. It gives us the words to say. It helps us participate in it. And um, and it's countercultural in that sense of – uh, it might not have all the exciting, you know, things going on that stimulate us necessarily, but um, but it does focus us, and it and it forces us to slow down, and it, and it, and liturgy forces us to say things that we wouldn't just come up with on our own. Mm. Um, we begin to pray for things that we necessarily wouldn't think of on our own. That's part of that explicit liturgy, mm-hmm. and then the implicit part of it too that um that we're formed in so we have to ask ourselves what what is within our what is in our liturgy what is uh what are we talking about what are we focused on what are we proclaiming in our liturgy what are we saying um what is being left out because it does form us it tells us about god it shows us god it reveals god to us um and it forms us as a community and um it uh it focuses us together in worship and it helps us participate in worship together. And so we have to introduce things well, we have to engage people in participation and invite them into the liturgy. Uh, when we do it just for the sake of doing it, then it, it does tend to be lifeless. Um, mm-hmm. But anything can take on that, you know, singing mm-hmm. is the same way if you just sing a whole lot and don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, anything, you're just doing it to do it. Why do we sing? And we say, yeah. well, it stirs my emotions or helps me connect to God. It's like, well, that's exactly, you know, I would say the same thing about yeah. formalized call and response liturgy. You know, um, so then it just comes down to preferential things. Right. And um, uh, there's something about um, saying we want to engage people personally uh, well, but um, but also when we come in, this is part of laying ourselves down on that altar. And hmm. this is part of what Paul's saying. Laying ourselves down means laying your preferences down so that you enter in together as a body. Y'all bring all y'all's mm. bodies and lay them before the Lord as a, a living sacrifice. Because then later on, he gets into don't be a stumbling block and these differences between you, you've got to put aside, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, well, I, I appreciate yeah. you kind of explaining, like, th- the, I guess, in that sense, the three forms of liturgy explicit, implicit, and null, I think, is one that I'm very happy you brought up because you're talking about this idea of formation and forming us as a body, that's what all, even the stuff that you don't do. So like you said, like, even if you say, Hey, we're all about ordaining women and women in leadership, but if you never have a woman leading, well, that's forming your body, you know, mm-hmm. what you don't see and what you do see, all of that's telling you something. It all communicates something. I, I talk about a lot um, with people just cause, you know, I guess I'm a nerd in this way and care about this stuff, but like where the pulpit is matters. Yeah. Where you put the Bible is, you know, like if you have like a more contemporary worship space, which a lot of churches are moving to, do you have a cross up front at all? Or is it just a big screen? You know, yeah. are you using cool lights and smoke? Like all that stuff communicates what you care about, what you're worshiping, yep. what matters. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it's important to um, something, something, and maybe this is our shift here, but all this is repetitive. When we get into liturgy, what, even if it is just you sing three songs on Sunday, the pastor preaches for 45 minutes and you go home, well, you're going to do it again next week. Like it's all repetitive yeah. and it is doing something to you. And I think a lot of the pushback that I get or a lot of like the questions people raise when we get into this conversation of maybe adding some liturgical practice. Um, and by, and when I say that, I mean just more like creeds or um, prayers or confession, adding those kind of maybe to a worship service that when it's not there, the pushback is like, well, I don't want it to be the same thing every time. Yeah. And it's that repet it's as if repetition is bad. Um, yeah. Bishop Todd Hunter talks about, or at least I saw a post once where he was talking about, uh, of course, he's an Anglican bishop for people who don't know. Um, but he, he talks about how like, well, that's kind of the idea. Like when you're teaching kids math, you do flashcards and you repeat it over and over and over again. That's the way you learn. And so yeah. like athletes, for example, do the same, you know, you shoot free throws over and over and over again to get better at shooting you know, free throws. Musicians yeah. play scales over and over and over again. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing with the liturgy. It gives us the ability to, like you said, like it carves out space for God, you know, our attention is refocused on what we're doing there. I love the birthday example. Like, this is why we're there. You don't go to a birthday. And if you, oh, well, let's just go with that example. Like, if you go to a birthday and you don't sing happy birthday, yeah. well, something was wrong, you know? Yeah, right. And you're right. never not going to participate. Even if you don't like singing, you're still going to sing happy birthday when you're at the, because yeah. that's why you're there, like to wish someone yeah. happy birthday. Um yeah. You know, and, and it's funny that people are like totally fine with that or totally fine with the pregame practices for a football game, but, and we'll fight for those things. But then when it comes to church, it's like, well, if it's not spontaneous and like, if you're not making it up and it's not fresh, then what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The danger in that is the spontaneity. A lot of times we confuse with emotional stimulus uh -huh. and we begin to confuse our own emotions with the movement of God or equate our emotions with the movement of God. Mm -hmm. And that is far too erratic. Um, you know, we, we, uh, uh, God's movement is not dependent upon our emotions. Um, but we often, and so, um, if I wasn't emotionally stirred, did God really do anything yeah. in the service? Did God really move, you know? So the stimulus, like we want some kind of stimulus and, um, to, uh, to, to base worship upon that is, is very, uh, is very dangerous, very dangerous. And so um, I mean, we will be stimulated when worship, good worship happens, but I can also walk away from a worship sa service saying God was acknowledged and celebrated. Yeah. God was, um, uh, God had a place to speak to us through his scriptures, through his word. Um, God was um, forgiving sins. You know, we prayed a prayer of confession and heard a pardon of our sins. God was there forgiving our sins as we confessed um, God was here. God did something. And, um, and I can walk away saying like, you know, an analogy, Tish Harrison Warren uses, I've used it before and then she used it and I thought, well, good, you know, it's good confirmation. <laughs> um, so, uh, this is, this is a, a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary where she talks about it and she says, I wanted to um, bring this book up with you. So I'm glad you're going there. Now. Oh, good. Great. Yeah. Great. So she says, um, I can't remember what I had for lunch last Wednesday. You know, I don't wait for every meal to be some mind-blowing, stimulating meal, right? 
um, I can't remember what I had for lunch last Wednesday, but it was nourishing. Yes. You know, it nourished me. Um, and so I could say, I can't remember what we did three Sundays ago in worship. Mm-hmm. I don't, I can't remember what songs we, we sung. I don't really remember what the sermon was about, but that doesn't mean it wasn't nourishing. That does not mean that God wasn't there. That does not mean that it wasn't good worship mm-hmm. um, because I participated and because it was about meeting with God. Yeah. And, um, and, and he's come out of a place of love, you know, it's it just like a spouse, you know, I don't, um, I don't wake up every single morning and, and have the, um, the same feelings that I had for my wife, the very, like, as we were dating, you know, yeah. every single time or, or every moment of every day, it's not that it's not dependent upon that. Like my relationship with my wife is not dependent upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, our relationship with God should not be either. So just, let's just stay in that book for a second. She also, I, I, when I read that book, when it first came out, I was like, this is one of the best things ever written. <laughs> but, yeah. And I still think it's a fantastic book and deserved the awards that it got. But she says also to that point, she's, there's a quote, and I wrote it down so I could bring it up with you. She says, the kind of spiritual life and disciplines needed to sustain the Christian life, okay, so that idea of formation and keeping it going really, are quiet, mm-hmm. repetitive, and ordinary. Um, yeah. To that point, like, it didn't have to be, you know, I didn't have to go to the greatest restaurant with the best chef for lunch. Like, you know, I, I don't remember what it was. It could have been a PB&J. But like, I'm still right. here today because of it. And it nourished yeah. my body. Um, but this idea of like, of repetition, you know, this, it, it does, it does do this, thing. like, it's, it might seem monotonous, but you know, Tish Harrison Warren does talk about it. James K. Smith talks about it. And you are what you love. Like the Mm. repetitive, the mundane things. This is how we learn to love. We learn to listen. We learn to pay attention Mm. to God, but then to others around me. Um, Because we are, whether we know it or not, shaped by the things that we do again and again and again. So if you're just on Amazon shopping and clicking buy now, buy now, buy now. Well, when that stops, when the money runs out, you're going to have a hole in your life <laughs> because you yeah. can't consume, consume, consume. And I guess the, I, I want to get to a question of why is liturgy important? Cause you've been touching on it and talking about that, I think, mm-hmm. but even to kind of dive in a little more, why is it so important for churches and worshiping communities? Um, because, you know, I am worried that it has at least in America become like the culture around us in the sense that it is consumeristic. Like we are, and as church leaders, I'm saying, you know, you lead in a church, I have the privilege of leading in a church. We're responsible to how we lead. We're responsible to the congregation. We're responsible for God, mm-hmm. for their formation, for the way in which we worship. And I get worried when I think about, is what we did today similar to what they could have gotten at the movie theater down the street, where they just came in, they looked at the mm-hmm. thing in front of them, they watched, they were entertained, and then they went home. And they might talk about it, like they would talk about a movie. Yeah. Um, and I know this may be like harsh in my criticism of what, and I'm, I'm, I don't, you know, whatever churches are doing, I'm sure they're trying to be spirit led and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm afraid that that's what's happening. And we're just kind of like, when I think countercultural, I don't really think about like, that, that's kind of where I start. Like, is, is the way we worship the same way we worship at the mall you know, or, or at the movie theater? So what is then yeah. the importance of liturgy in that regard? 
Um, because that, you mentioned it is countercultural. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 So the, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways that it's important when, we, when we're talking and when we talk about liturgy, just to kind of hinge off of some of the things we've been talking about, it, it, it's about the intentionality of the liturgy. You know, how are we intentional about the liturgy? So we, we say every service is liturgical in some mm-hmm. way because we're doing something, you know, there's people involved and you're doing something. Hmm. Um, so there is a liturgy present. Right. How mindful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the question is how mindful are you of the liturgy? Um, how mindful are you of the content and flow of the liturgy and how intentional are you about planning that, um, yeah. to, uh, to engage people in participation, uh, to engage people in meeting with God. And so uh, the importance of the liturgy is um, it really is how we are intentionally um, in- intentionally engaging people in, um, in, in a meeting with God, you know, um, engaging people in worship um, and, and understanding that worship is, is rooted in love. You know, uh, one of the things that we often talk about with um, – things like the movie theater approach and things like that is we want to make it um, the a word that gets used a lot. I don't know if it's used as much as it once was, but relevant, right. you know, we want to be relevant to people, relevant to the culture. Um, I, I think it's a terrible word to use because <laughs> you basically said um, that the gospel is not relevant. Um, yeah. You know, if, if we're talking about worship, if worship's basically, a, it, it's proclaiming the story of God. It's, it's, it's engaging with God. It's meeting with God and proclaiming who God is and what God has done and giving thanks to God for it, you know, and then listening to God and responding yeah. to God in that. Um, we're, we basically said two things by us needing to make worship relevant. That means God is not relevant. Neither is his story to mm-hmm. every life out there. We mm-hmm. have to make it relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, the early church would call that the heresy of Pelagianism, mm-hmm. that we have the power to, right. you know, to, to somehow do this ourselves um, rather than the spirit of God. So, um, so is that the other part of it is, um, you know, the, the seeker movement, you know, we want to do this so that people who don't, who, who are burnt out by church or don't, mm-hmm. um, uh, don't, don't enjoy church or that aren't part of church will be interested in coming to church. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we put together these um, parodies of culture so a movie theater, we're going to try and make it like a movie theater. And the church has now become a parody in two ways. It's become a parody of the culture and it's become a parody of the church. That's right. It doesn't stand as a church and it's just a parody of the culture. So, um, so, so you're really becoming a parody of two things simultaneously. And um, in, in doing that too, the, uh, the appeal that we're trying to do, um, we, um, if, if worship is based in a love of God, um, I, some of the seeker friendly things, I get the importance, or the, I, I get the, the, um, the drive for it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get the impetus for it, like why people want to do this. They, mm-hmm. they care about evangelism. They care about people who don't know Christ. Coming yeah, it's coming Christ. from a good place. It is. It is. Great intentions, you know. Um, but, uh, but, but someone who, um, who doesn't, love God can't worship God. Mm. Um, someone who does not know God cannot worship God. Mm-hmm. And so now what does it mean to come to a worship service? You know, is this truly a worship service um, on the one hand? Um, the other part of that is um, 
we turn worship into evangelism. The purpose of worship is not to be evangelism. The purpose of worship is to be worship, to worship God. It's meant to be focused on God. Um, the revival services that took place in the 18th and 19th centuries were done outside of the church to bring people into the church. The evangelism was done outside of the church by the people of the church to bring people into the church. Now, people don't know how to evangelize because the church. they say, well, the church is going to do it for me. We'll just let worship do it. You know, yeah. um, so it took over Sunday morning because it was a lot more pragmatic and it had results. But when you get into a post-Christendom world and people are burnt out by the church and don't like, you know, we don't know how to evangelize because worship has just done it for us for so long. Mm. Um, and worship has not been worship. Worship has been evangelism. It's taken the place. Um, evangelism has taken place of worship. Um, huh. So um, all that's to say that that is a re a lot of those movements have led to um, more formalized, structuralized, liturgical patterns and practices being chucked from the church, right? And so now we have null liturgy, right? There's a lot of null liturgy because we chucked all these things. We didn't know why they were there in the first place, but we got rid of them because we didn't like them or we didn't think they were user-friendly enough or seeker-friendly enough. Um, so, but, uh, but by doing that, um, we are chucking very important formative things. What is the importance of liturgy? It's um, like Tish Harrison Warren was saying, you know, it's those those slow formative practices that we're engaging in and the ways that they begin to develop us, develop a mindset. Saying the creed every Sunday. I don't know how many times I've talked to people in the church and they say, um, we talk about the Trinity and they're just like, oh my goodness, the Trinity. I don't even know what to think about the Trinity. I can't, I have no starting point for it. I'm like, well, do you know the creed? They're like, no. I'm like, you know, if you said the creed every Sunday, you'd have a starting point. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Right there. Yeah. Um, and I have news for you. Nobody understands the Trinity. That's right. You know, Jesus is the only one that understood the Trinity, and he was very vague in how he talked about it. <laughs> yeah, he didn't <laughs> <You know>? really help. <laughs> yeah. So um, he gave us some clues, but we, you know, we're still very lost in this. Um, now, we know it's a reality. We have some things that have been passed down. We don't have to rely on things just ourselves. And this is part of the problem. When we start chucking the liturgy and all this, right. what can we do? How do we reinvent things? How can we now do something? It's like, we've had 2,000 years of the church's history to help us with this. Yeah. We've had 2,000 years of the church's history to stand on the back of, to um, to give us things. Now, we need to know how to apply them well in our day and time. We don't just do them for the sake of doing them. Mm -hmm. We have to understand why we do them and know how to do them well within our culture. Mm -hmm. But we don't just chuck them. Um, that is a disservice to the church. It's really arrogant. It's a cultural arrogance. Um, we don't yeah. need them. We have better ways now or we have our own things to do. But um, uh, but say like, no, the church is there. To be part of the body of Christ in the church is to say it's a church across space and across time. Yeah. Um, so it's there. So the liturgy connects us to the church throughout its history yes. and says we are proclaiming words that the church has proclaimed for 2000 years and we are continuing to proclaim them. We are entering into this. We are saying things about God. Um, we are learning about God in this. We are engaging with God in this. Um, the liturgy helps us um, have language to pray when I don't know what to pray. Yeah. Um, I, I can I can fall back on those words because I've repeated them so many times. I find them naturally coming out of my mouth now or coming into my head um, when I have to pray. I don't have to be scared to pray because I have some things that I can lean on there. 
Um, I don't have to be scared when somebody says, what is the Trinity? I can say, you know, I can't tell you a whole lot about it, but let me tell you what I do know. It's, it's these three, these three persons that we celebrate father, son, and Holy spirit. And, um, and, and here's how that looks this is what that means. Um, we can say, um, you know, who are we as a church? Who are we as the people of God? What is it that God does? You know, um, uh, what is God's uh, nature? What is God's character? I can tell you some of that because of that liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, we ha- but we have to sit in it. You know, it takes time. Um, it's not just, uh, you know, I mean, I know we're in a podcast, but it's more than just listening to a podcast and getting yeah. a bunch of information. Right. You know, um, uh, um, Ephesians says it's not um, uh, Ephesians 3, the end of Ephesians 3 talks about, um, you know, to, to know the, the height and depth and width and breadth right. of, of the love of God. Um, it's not that we, we commit ourselves to all this learning and then we're able to comprehend it and do that. Um, but it's about the love. Um, it's mm-hmm. about developing love for God. And out of that love, we begin to comprehend God. Um, but it's, it's, it's taking the time to develop that love and to cultivate that love and that heart. And, um, I think what people don't understand about liturgy too, and it's, I, I find this so funny because so many churches that are so quick to to chuck it, I would say, are churches that uh, believe very much in the importance and the power of scripture. Mm. Um, what we don't understand is the liturgy, uh, you know, Anglican liturgy, even the Methodist book of worship, uh, those liturgies by and large um, uh, are simply prayer shaped, or, I'm sorry, scripture shaped into prayers. Yep. Scripture shaped. So we're chucking a lot of scripture out. Yeah, they're just quotes. And, and it's, it's taking scripture and forming it so that we are learning to pray scripture. We are learning to enter into scripture. And so we hold scripture at this high place in our lives, but we chuck it from our worship in the ways that we're praying through liturgy and the ways that we're engaging. Um, And we don't, a lot of times we don't even do a scripture reading unless it's just kind of a setup for a sermon. We don't give you know, give yeah. space for the word of God just read amongst yeah. us even. Um, and so uh, we claim to have this great value and love for scripture, but we continue to just chuck it um, yeah. in all these we'll different ways. Yeah. yeah, completely. So what is liturgy? What's the other importance of liturgy? The importance is that it helps us enter into scripture yeah. as a guide to our life and a guide to our worship. And it helps us learn how to pray the scriptures. Yeah. And, and, Something you you keep talking about, like this idea of love, like a book that was recommended, you know, by you and others, the liturgy explained, you and I have talked about it a little bit. James Farwell has a great little line. He says, the point of liturgy is to embody the love of the one who first loved us, which is also, by the way, scripture <laughs> to say that yeah, right. <laughs> we love because he first loved us. But the liturgy and this, this, these patterns and practices of worship, as you've, you know, explained, it just helps us embody that love more fully. We, we remit, we're reminded of it. We can learn about it. We're formed by it. And then we can embody it ourselves to God and to the world around us. Um, it's, uh, he also talks about like this idea of formation that we've been kind of hinting on throughout the liturgy. It's we're becoming a certain kind of people, you know, and in fact, yeah. I would say we're becoming more human, more like who God intended us to be in the first place. And he argues, he goes, the only way to do that is by acting like those kind of people. <laughs> and so right. in the liturgy, that's what you're doing. You're acting like those kind of people, and then you're becoming them in the process. 